ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again. We are broadcasting almost live from a secure bunker deep beneath an old Bennigan's. It's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and my political consulting partner, Tyler Crawley. How's it going, buddy? Is Bennigan's out of business? Uh, according to the interwebs, yes. Huh. They used to have great uh, brunch. In fact, we, I used to go there when I was uh, when I you know I grew up in DC, and there used to be a Bennigan's that my mom like our family would go to. And have you ever seen the movie? Um, oh, what's that movie called? Uh, Saint Elmo's Fire. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Remember at the end? Remember the whole the, the Saint Elmo's Fire is the name of the bar they're going to. And mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, they all turn to each other and they go, Bennigan's? And they go to Bennigan's. <laughs> it was just, it was, that was the same one we used to go to, the one in DC. That's where it takes place. So there you go. There's your fact for the day. That's a cool little tidbit. <laughs> throwing your cap. I know. Me and the St. Elmo's Fire, you know, me and the Brat Pack, we used to hang out back in the day. Pff, craziness. Eight balls they used to buy. Nuts. Can't get into it though on the podcast. <laughs> Not FCC no, compliant. No. Um, no. All right. even, even though we broadcast all over the state and That's worldwide, true. we, uh, you know, we we can only say certain things. That's true. That's true. Plus, I have a reputation to uphold. In some in some people's eyes, not not You're a choir not boy, <laughs> choir boy. <laughs> okay, but speaking of craziness, speaking of craziness, uh, I have to say that it's very interesting that as Florida wrapped up all of its craziness with the board of elections, North Carolina, I can only assume, must have turned to South Carolina and said, "Hold my beer." Because in just the last week, the State Board of Elections has lost its chairman, who resigned for acting like a child on Twitter, which, of course, came after the State Board of Elections refused to certify election results, even though this is like a month since the AP called the election in the 9th District. They now are saying they're not going to certify it. And meanwhile, this is all happening as the board was supposed to be disbanded on Monday because it was ruled unconstitutional by a superior court who's now issued a stay, and it's just insanity going on in North Carolina. Like I said, North Carolina has somehow found a way to make Florida look sane. So, Kevin, my question for you is why is North Carolina the way that it is? Honestly, every time we try and do something fun or exciting, it makes it not that way. I hate so much about what it chooses to be. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're not the worst state, but we're no, not I the know. best state. Not, well, the Board of Elections is, I'm just, North Carolina is is upsetting me a lot the last couple of like months. It's, I really like North Carolina, but it's really doing a lot of dumb stuff in the last couple of months. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if we're getting a migration from Florida, but something's going on here. No, I think part of it is we're getting a lot of migrations from Florida and New York. And as a native North Carolinian, I'm very, um, very opposed to anyone moving here who was not born here. Right. I'm anti interstate immigration. So you want to build a wall? I want to build a wall all the way around the state of North Carolina. (laughs) Not all the way around because the coast were okay, right? Or, or Or you don't want people coming on the coast either. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was I, I thought the the ocean was enough of a buffer <laughs> that it was implied we didn't need to build a fence oh, on okay. the beach. I'm just saying, I, say, I take what people say literally, uh, but yeah, I mean, Kevin, this has all happened in the last week. I mean, it's, I mean, this is these are enough stories. I mean, I don't know. Is this like a Trump factor or I just remember back in the day, one of these stories would have been the biggest story, a big story for an entire year. 
And all three of these things all happened within a week of each other. I mean, is, is it just it, that's the one thing that makes news when you have crazy big stories just because, like I said, the Trump effect or are things just really that insane right now? Well, here's the problem. OK, North Carolina is at is at this very strange juncture of of trying to reform itself. I think that what we had was a hundred years of complete party control of the state. So what you have is this entrenchment, the good old boy system, cronyism, the, the Democrat party held the state of North Carolina. What happened is then finally in 2010, you break through it. The Republicans get a majority and the supermajority. They finally elect a Republican governor. So we had the House, Senate, and governorship for the first time in 150 years. So things started to change, at least philosophically, if not a little bit fundamentally. So we started to expose a lot of what was going on. And it's not necessarily a party thing because we talk about all the dumb stuff Republicans do too. (laughs) What I'm pointing out is that a lot of just the the same old, same old started to be uncovered. And you see the, like last week, we were talking once again about the ABC commissioners uh, down in, in the Wilmington area who were making crazy salaries and then still get a pension. And you have um, the crazy money going to the former UNC president, um, all of the corruption between county managers or the county manager in Buncombe County and the Register of Deeds here in Wake County, who's now suing. Uh, That's insane. Um, So I think you have this culture of how things were going, and that goes straight to the Board of Elections. I mean, it's so deep because it was that way for so long. So I think what you're starting to see come to the surface is that these people who normally would have just kept on doing what they were doing, whether it was um, acting like a child on social media or – acting questionably or or in a cronyistic manner, some of this is finally coming to light, but so much of it has happened over the last several years. I'm not sure people are paying attention. I mean, the entire slate in Buncombe County ran on the fact that there was so much corruption going on in one county that you had the former county attorney and assistant county attorney and the county manager and the, the, so many of these employees uh, caught up in so much of a scandal. You had an entire pack form running against the corruption of the Democrat Party, yet they still sweep the county. Right. So even though all this is coming to light, I'm not sure it's really registering with people or they don't care. And so maybe that's where we're at. They, people don't care that this race isn't getting certified. Maybe the average person just isn't paying attention or doesn't see how important it really is that this kind of stuff is going on. Well, I also think it is interesting to to see an issue of voter fraud. I mean, to the point where they're not certifying an election because of supposed voter fraud. And it's the Democrats bringing it to everyone's attention. Like all of a sudden, the Democrats are like, hey, this voter fraud thing might be a problem and we should do something about it. And I really think the Republicans should use this as an opportunity to say, hey, yeah, let's look into this and, and then say, you know what? I'm glad that you guys are admitting that voter fraud is a problem and let's come together on a solution because, we know, we've already got the voter ID so you know what? Let's look into absentee ballots because absentee ballots is supposedly if you talk to most people uh, that look into a voter fraud, the most susceptible place is absentee ballot because it's basically uh, honor system. Right. You get two people to say, hey, I saw this person sign off. And I mean, there's no way we're calling every single person that you know, that that does an absentee ballot. We're not calling that person the two people that signed off. So it's very honor system unless irregularities arise, which is what looks like is happening here. But I think, you know, the Democrats should go, hey, you know what? Maybe voter fraud is something that 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 
is a problem and we should be looking into it and we should be able to turn this into a bipartisan issue, but everyone's still picking their, their positions and the Republicans, like I said, I'm a little disappointed in because these numbers are, I mean, if you actually look at them, I mean, the fact that we had a 2016 primary race where the guy that came in third in Bladen County alone got 80, got 98% of the absentee wins, the ballots, <laughs> like, and, but he came in third in the di- in that County on election day. But for some reason, he got 98% of the absentee ballot. Like, why is this not come to light before now? That is something that should have set off a billion alarms, and it didn't. And now all of a sudden it is. But I think the GOP needs to make sure. I mean, listen, we should be more upset about this than anyone. We're the ones talking about voter fraud all the time. And now we're going to go, oh, just certify it and whatever. But, I mean, we should we should be leading this charge because this is precisely what we've been talking about. So, yeah, I mean, I think a billion red flags might be a tad bit of an exaggeration. A million? A mil- at least a million, okay. if not a, a bazillion. Um, I, and, was, and you- <laughs> I was adding inflation because like 20 oh. years ago, it would have been a million. So I guess you're saying like maybe 10 million would be the proper infl- inf- inflationary uh, number now. Yeah, no, I, I think you're <laughs> <laughs> that, that number is I will certify that number, actually. Okay, thank um, you. <laughs> But but you're right. So we just had the ballot initiative uh, in November to require a constitutional or it was a constitutional amendment to require voter ID. And you are correct that this is bipartisan because the constitutional amendment passed with overwhelming support, which is saying a lot considering the uh, the big blue wave that really came through North Carolina in the election toppling uh, a lot of uh, Republican seats in the House and Senate, breaking the supermajority. Now, State lawmakers are tasked with laying out exactly what this voter ID situation is supposed to look like. Right now, the current legislation allows a state-issued driver's license, a state-issued voter ID, U.S. passport, as well as tribal identification to all be acceptable forms of voter ID. These all make perfect sense to me, Tyler. However, they are also including student IDs as well as state and local IDs. That's right, Tyler. Your really old UNCW ID could be used to verify your identity for voting purposes. So here's my question, Tyler. Do you think any local entity with a $100 card printer should be allowed to provide valid voter ID? I'm actually okay with the colleges only because the college IDs are, I don't know. I mean, they're they're pretty legit. I mean, they're used for getting in and out of buildings and they're kind of hard to – fake i mean maybe not maybe not as hard as a driver's license but i mean a big university i mean those are i mean they're they're pretty substantial ids now the problem is is i guess you'd only know if it was fake or not is if you tried to open a building at uncw and then you couldn't get in because the it wouldn't work so i guess if you just took something that looked similar to a voting poll or a polling location, I'm not sure how they would verify whether or not it's a real ID or not. See, I always assumed that because, I mean, the, the ideas that you get in college, at least the ones I remember having, were, you know, pretty legit. I mean, they're, you know, they had like a barcode and I mean, it, was, it was used as like your key into all the buildings. So there was a tech, you know, there's a technological sort of advancement to the IDs. And, you know, back in the day when it was just a piece of paper laminated. But I guess the true value of it is being able to use it as a key, which you won't have to do in, in a polling place. So I guess... Yeah, I guess they're not that hard to forge if you don't have that technological component. So I don't know. I still think that college IDs are are uh, 
at least the, the, the big universities uh, are still harder to forge than say uh, some of the other ones that are out there. Yeah. I, and, and I think that you're right. I mean, you can't just get a student ID, but part of the problem that I have is that these IDs, and, and this also goes for local government entity. I guess if you work for the county courthouse or something, your, your employer ID would work. Um, you're also talking about high schools, right? So your high school ID, if you're 17, going to vote in the next election, or even if you're an 18 year old high school student, your, your high school ID. So now you've really opened the window to not really any sort of secure process to printing those IDs. Cause now, you know, you're right. If you're at a major university, you can't just walk in and get an ID printed. And you would like to think that the building is secure and that only certain employees have access, so on and so forth. But now if you're talking about a local high school with 500 students, who has access to that technology, right? Yeah. The other point that I have, though, is that it also doesn't verify. And and really, this isn't just the fault of the voter ID, but it's the fault of the voter law is that it doesn't really require you to verify that Tyler Crawley lives at 123 Main Street. Right. And a student ID has no address whatsoever. But even your driver's license does not have to match your voter registration. So if there are five Kevin Kings in this certain area, there's nothing that actually shows which Kevin King I am. And that's a major problem that I have with the concept of voter ID trying to prevent people from taking ballots that aren't theirs. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's, that is one of the big problems. And I've, I've talked to, I think I actually was, a, I think last week I talked to the, the Lieutenant Governor, Dan Forrest about that. And that was one of the points that he made about the, the college IDs not being able to certify the location uh, of where you currently are because that, I mean, because the reality is, is that when you get your driver's license and you change it, it's now officially changed. And the, you know, the big concern, I guess, is that people could vote here. Let's say you're UNCW, you know, I'm down here at Wilmington. So let's say someone lives in Raleigh and goes to school at UNCW, they could vote at UNCW and vote in Raleigh, I guess, somehow find a way to be registered in both places because you could register down here uh, and there'd be nothing that would, you know, there's, you have nothing that proves that you live down here because your driver's license still says Raleigh, but your, your ID is down here. And I don't, I don't know if there's like a double, I, and like I said, I don't know if there's a, a, a checks in the system. I still don't think voter ID is anywhere near as big in North Carolina as some Republicans want us to think that it is it, it, in some other States. It's a lot easier to fraudulently vote than it is in North Carolina. We actually do have some checks and balances, uh, so I don't think voter fraud is anywhere near as problematic as it is in other states. Uh, but I do understand you wanting to secure elections. People want their elections secure. What's the point of voting if your vote can be canceled out by a fake fraudulent vote? So I think we should do some things. But I think we also need to understand that everything we do is better than one, not doing anything, which some states, unfortunately, uh, that's the tactic they go. But then also realizing that we don't need to get so strict because I just don't think there's enough evidence to validate the concern that we need to start. Because once you go past a certain point, you worry about disenfranchising voters. And I don't think that's a problem enough. We need to be worried that we, that we need to be saying, well, you know, people don't vote because of this too bad. I don't think it's that bad of a problem yet, or at least we haven't figured it out yet. Um, so I, 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 I think that's another problem that, that sometimes Republicans make too big of a deal about voter fraud when the evidence just doesn't show that at least in this state, it's anywhere near as bad as it is in other places. I I will actually agree with you. Wow. That's the first time on Tavern Voices podcast, isn't it? 
I think we agree on pretty much everything every week. But I know I was just trying to I was just trying to trying to make sure everyone was listening here. Um, okay, speaking uh, now, this one we might not agree on. Well, all right, we'll see, all right. We'll see here. So uh, the big story this week, and this is going to get bigger. So this is just the uh, tip of the iceberg, as they say. Uh, Silent Sam which, as we all remember, was a Confederate statue on the campus of UNC Chapel Hill that was torn down violently four months ago, is slated to return because the Board of Trustees had a meeting and they are putting forward a proposal that would put this statue in a history center on the campus of Chapel Hill at the cost of $5 million dollars. So pretty much the entire board voted for this, except for two members. They were members of the student body who voted against it. The recommendation will now go to the UNC Systems Board of Governors for consideration in its uh, December meeting. The cost of the new building, which would have state-of-the-art security, of course, $5.3 million plus an $800,000 annual operating cost budget. So they're going to take the statue and they're going to put it in this building. It's not, it's not just going to be the statue. There's going to be other things, but clearly this this statue is going to be going into this building to help, I guess, validate it being built along with the uh, state-of-the-art security system. So, Kevin, if the point of these protests and vandalism was to make Silent Sam more prominent and more protected, mission accomplished, Antifa. Are, are you asking me if that was the mission? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I mean, they did it. That was their goal. If their goal was to make Silent Sam more prominent and more protected, they succeeded. They've now got it in, it's like a building, um, almost, they're almost making this building for the statue and it's going to have state-of-the-art security. So they're not even going to be able to get to it and tear it down now. Yeah. You know, it's like we've talked about on here before. If you're going to do this, you've got to go all out, right? If you've got to remove Silent Sam from the public view because walking by it is oppressive, then you need to remove every monument, memorial, um, ugly piece of art, what have you, from campus and shove it all in this $5 million building. And I'm afraid that's not going to happen. So I don't see the point in essentially building this building for one statue, I mean, is, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I mean, it's it's. I think they want to build this building anyway. I mean, let's face it; they're, they're the the part of the campus they're going to build this thing is. I, and I don't know a lot about UNC's campus, but I, they mentioned it as being a place that they're using for the purposes of the future growth of the university. So clearly, they want to build stuff. That's what they want to do. They get money and they want to build, and so they're gonna, they're going to build. And so, what better way to sort of, you know, aggressively get approval for this building and to say, Hey, this is where we're going to put silent Sam. And this is where we're going to put it in. And, and even though it's not entirely for silent Sam, the building's going to be, I guess, a history center, but this is going to be probably one of the main pieces I'm going to assume, but it just, to me, it's a lose lose for everyone because now what you've done is so the, the, the people that hate the statue, they're going to be mad that, that it's now, like I said, almost in a more prominent location, uh, maybe not more prominent, but it's it's in a location that's now going to be protected with a state-of-the-art security system. So they're going to hate that. They don't even want it on campus. Now it's going to be protected. And then it's going to tick off the a lot of the people who were for the statue, 
who are going to say, wait, hold on. We're not going to spend a million dollars a year protecting this statue, which is the operating cost of this building. So it's like somehow they went into this where they could make a decision where it was going to be a 50-50, right? You know, 50% of people were going to hate it. 50% of people were going to love it. And they found a way to get zero, a hundred. So everyone's against it except for them, I guess, like the people that made the decision. But from what I can tell, liberals are already protesting it. And I've, I've talked to some uh, conservative members of the board of governors and I can tell you they don't like it. So it doesn't, I don't know who likes this besides, Carol Fault and the other board of trustee members. It's the weirdest. It's the weirdest solution I've ever seen. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe all of this was intentionally designed to get their way because they knew getting rid of the statue is not an option. But I think they all want rid of it. So if they came out with this outlandish proposal to put it in a place that is going to cause a lot of uproar, but also at the same time upset the obviously the right wing people who believe in, in leaving a statue up, then maybe this is what they're trying to get at, that this is all their grand plan because they don't think it will actually pass. Oh, so you're saying is, is that this is just sort of like throwing a bone to, to one side of the argument and going, Hey, we tried. Yeah. We tried no, to I, do think, something. I think that's exactly what it is because then conspiracy the the day, theory. I like it. I like the conspiracy theory. There's always a conspiracy behind <laughs> anything, Tyler. You just have to know where to look for it. That's true. I just think it's it's, just, it's bizarre. The Bilderbergs have gotten involved in this because, I mean, I would think that they'd be getting ready for their Bohemian Grove trip and the Illuminati's about to meet. And it's just it's, it's well, I've heard I've heard Christmas is a big time for the Bilderberg people. That's true. So. Well, that's, well, that's because they're Satanists and they don't celebrate. They hate Christmas. It's the. It's the uh, the exact opposite of what they love. It's, I wonder uh, if Build a Bear will have a Silent Sam version that you could put together <laughs> in the mall. That's true. That, you know what? I've actually heard that the Build a Bears are really just a front for the Build a Birds. So the government can spy on you through the devices that you give a child. Yeah, think about it. We're making our own surveillance devices. It's yeah, no. it's it's quite amazing. No, so I mean, so wait, so which group do you think that they're trying to? Uh, put in the no-win situation. The the the, the people that want to keep the statue up, or the people that want to tear it down. The people who want to keep it up. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Because they're going to force their hand on something either, because they're basically saying, okay, if you want this statue to stay up, you've got to build this new building for us that we want. That they've probably been trying to get some sort of funding for for a while, and they think that the only way to get the awful fiscal conservatives to sign off on this is by saying we'll put Silent Sam in there. Well, yeah, actually, they are going to ask the General Assembly for to, to allocate money, I guess, for the operating expenses. The thing is, though, is it, it looks like they want to build this building anyway. So, I mean, they want that money. I mean, I, I guarantee you they want to build. I mean, they're looking to build buildings over there anyway. So this doesn't really seem like a kamikaze mission because it seems like they do want to build the building. No, it's well, here's the thing, though. It is kamikaze because. What's going to happen if the General Assembly and any of the normal Board of Governors have anything to say about it is they, is they need to say, all right, if this is going in a building somewhere, let's put it in the History Museum in Raleigh that we already fund. Why fund a totally separate entity? I think yeah. they ought to, and that's what I'm saying. I think they need to say no money for you. If this is going up somewhere other than the middle of campus, we're putting it in an already funded entity. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me makes sense. 
the pro- I tell you though, you're going to run into some. It's just to me, it didn't matter what they did because the people that you know follow the letter of the law. And I remember I had you know Tom Goolsby on the show, and he was like, "Listen, the law is very clear. The statue goes back to where it's supposed to go." And so I don't know. Would a museum count as a similar prominent position? I don't think it would. I mean, to take something from you know a, a you know a somewhat public square and then put it inside a museum just seems like it's always going to be less prominent. And so even if um, the Board of Governors, even if they agree to it, I still think you might see some people challenge it and say that's not the law. So the law says a, 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 a place of similar prominence. And so I think that no matter what they decide, there's going to be a legal challenge. Well, the, I think the only way that this is ever going to be settled is if there is a legal challenge. I think they're going to have to hide the statue and then someone fight them. And then when the courts, which the left always talks about how the court is the law of the land, if the court tells them they have to put it back in the quad, then what's the left going to do? Right. Just tear it down again. Burn down the quad. <laughs> you can't put it in the quad if there is no quad. That's right. And I mean, but isn't that the whole point of everything being public and community? And anyway, so you're talking here about how we have people on opposite sides of the spectrum. And I want to talk about bringing people together, Tyler, because that's what we do on this show. We bring people together. And I tell you, few things can unite polar opposites from political parties like the concept of crony capitalism. Everyone from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to Thomas Massey fundamentally opposed the concept of giving handouts to corporations, though I'm sure their principles are a bit varied on where they come up with that idea. However, the practice just keeps on growing. Just this week, the North Carolina General Assembly upped their per-job bounty for corporate incentives from 6,000, I'm sorry, 6,500 per job to 16,000 per job just in time for Honeywell to announce their relocation to Charlotte. Charlotte and Mecklenburg County are offering $46 million on top of the state incentives. Now, miraculously, this is supposed to lead to $8 billion in impact for the state of North Carolina. Tyler, with such a high return on investment, why don't we just hand out millions to every company? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the the argument that Nancy Pelosi made, right? Where giving people uh, food stamps or welfare actually help the economy. And then the argument was, well, extrapolate that and say, why don't we just, you know, fire everyone and everyone should quit their jobs and everyone just lives off of welfare. And the multiplier effect would make that an economic boon for our society. And it's weird that when you say that people, oh, oh that's ridiculous. Well, well, that's the point. <laughs> It's a ridiculous argument that if you bribe this group, that it's going to it's gonna be a benefit. But if you, like I said, um, extrapolate that and say, well, why don't we give every company money? Well, then we wouldn't have any money. Yeah, that's that's the point is that you can't do that. And eventually you run out of money. It's It doesn't make any sense. So that if that's the case, then why are we giving any company any money? And I'll tell you, it's really fascinating, this, this economics debate, because – I'm actually it's it, it's funny. I'm actually looking at it right now because uh, on my radio show this week, I'm going to have a guy on called Oren Cass, who's written a new book called The Once and Future Worker. And I'm very fascinated to read this book because what we're seeing right now in society on both sides of the aisle, this is happening on the left and the right. Um, and you know it, what highlights that is the fact that Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump have almost the exact same economic theories when it comes to trade. 
uh, and when it comes to jobs in the United States and 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 some other, I mean, they, they don't agree on taxes and regulations, but they have the same outlook on immigration and trade, and that they're both hurting the American worker. And so both sides are having this internal debate about what the you know should it be growth at all costs, free market, you know, the Darwinism, the strongest survive, and if you don't survive, that's because you're not working hard enough, or should we start making protections? And that's the whole purpose of Orrin Cass's new book, and all this stems from that where should the government provide money as a sort of safety net to some of these companies for the purposes of them hiring workers and subsidize those jobs? Because the company might say, hey, you know what? It's not worth it for us to pay these people $60,000, $70,000. So if the government goes, okay, well, we'll give you 20000 will you pay for fifty? And they'll say, okay. And it's – that's kind of the debate that we're having. Or can we put tariffs up? And can we put quotas up? And can we do all these things? It's not going to create economic growth, but it is going to apply certain jobs to certain sectors of the economy. And this is a dirty word. And actually, Orrin Cass says this, and as I've, you know, I'm, I'm still in the beginning of the book, but he talks about redistribution. And that's a that's a that's a dirty word on the right. But the arguments that are being made about tariffs and quotas and other protectionist policies, it's redistribution. That's exactly what it is. It's we're going to create this job at the expense of some other jobs because it's going to create higher costs and, 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 and whatnot. And so this is a very interesting debate that's not only happening in North Carolina, but it's happening nationally because the data is very clear. This does not spur um, economic growth, but – does it create jobs? Potentially. Does it create more high paying jobs? Potentially. But it doesn't, it's, it's, it, it, there's two ways to look at it. Economic growth and overall sort of uh, a balance in the economy and economic growth wise, there's no evidence, but balancing the economy, there's an argument to be made there. So I think it's, it's all on how you look at these, these, these programs. Well, yeah, I think first of all, what you have to look at is, Never forget the law of unintended consequences when it comes to government intervention, right? There's always an intention, and then it's what happens long-term from that that no one seems to take into account. So my concern with something, with any sort of meddling or interference is what what problems does that cause long-term? How does that affect wages overall when you're subsidizing wages? I mean, when you subsidize uh, cash for clunkers, what did that do to the cost of automobiles and used cars? And, th- you know, there's all these other factors that really have to be taken into account, not just looking at it in a microcosm and say, OK, well, if we take this one sector and subsidize these jobs, well, then maybe we'll have some sort of positive impact in just this one area as if it were a vacuum. And the other point I wanted to, to talk about is I was already planning on talking about the big uh, what they call the JDIG uh, program here that Honeywell just got. And as I'm looking through um, WRAL today, there was another article of a company based here in Raleigh called Pendo, which is a software company who is getting, um, let me find the number, eight, uh, $8.8 million over the next 12 years. And that's a company that already exists in Raleigh. And since they said they had, quote, an attractive offer to leave Raleigh, they were given this incentive package to stay. So I think <laughs> it's become such a game and it has become this. I mean, because that's what you see. Honeywell already had 40 million in incentives from the state of New Jersey to stay where they were. 
a couple of years ago. Now they're moving some people here, trying to merge their South Carolina headquarters to Charlotte. Um, so there's a lot of factors going into their decision. We're giving them a bunch of money uh, between local, I mean, city, county, and state incentives for them to do so. Um, when a lot of these jobs are just going to move, they're talking about, they said the average wage was 340000 for this Honeywell deal. But luckily, my boss uh, asked what the median salary was, and it's about $80,000. When you're talking about corporate jobs, that makes it to start look a lot less impressive than it was when they're walking around saying, we're paying the average person 340000 a year, as if we're bringing these great jobs into the, into the area that wouldn't otherwise exist. It's, yeah, I mean, they're, they're bringing some, though. Yes. Well, their plan is to add additional jobs over the next five years, right? So all of this is also based on their business model. Will they continue to grow? Is the economy going to stay where it is? You you get what I'm saying. It's it's such a game of let's paint a pretty picture and sell them. Like I said, they said this is going to be $8 billion worth of impact to the state of North Carolina. And all we have to do is pony up, what, $100 million? If you could pony up $100 million and get $8 billion back, why wouldn't we do that everywhere? Clearly, that's not what is actually going to happen. There's no way. Yeah. Well, no, and that's why I said that, I mean, on a, from a pure numbers game, from an economic, like I said, from an economic growth perspective, there's not a single study on the planet Earth that says that these things increase economic growth. They don't. Um, I don't care what multiplier effect you use. It doesn't matter. It does not exist. But- are these programs, do they have a redistribution effect? And that's, like I said, going back to this book that I'm reading, is that the argument is, is that what we do in order to maintain certain industries and certain jobs like manufacturing and others is that we essentially tax the rich and we take that money and provide subsidies for companies to create employment. Not entirely, but like I said, a subsidy. And that could actually, and as you mentioned, indirect effects. What that could cause is a slowing of the economy. But the argument then becomes, is it better to have 4% growth where you see a lot of the wealth concentrated at the top? Or is it better to have 2.5% growth and a more equal distribution of the gains from our society? Not saying that that's what's going to happen, but that is the argument. And I think that that's the problem is that is that because there's clearly people who feel like the economy is leaving them behind. And that they're not benefiting from this, and what you don't want to happen, and, and this is what this is. I mean, this is what eventually happens, right? You have more haves, uh, you have few haves, and a lot of have-nots, or at least people that is, feel that they're the have-not. I mean, from all pretty much all accounts, all metrics, it's better to be alive today than any other time in the world. Uh, things are significantly better with regards to just leisure time, to healthcare to just standard of living. I mean, it's, 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 it's not even close, but there are still people that feel, Hey, we're getting left behind all these things are happening. And what worries me is that, you know, at what point do we get to, I mean, cause you're seeing on the left and the right, you know, what eventually happens is let's seize the means of production. I mean, I know that sounds like a ridiculous argument, but it's not like that's not happening today. And so maybe a way to placate that and to, you know, and to kind of calm it down is we do offer these sort of subsidies where it has a redistributive effect um, like I said, that's kind of a dirty word on the right, but that's essentially what people are arguing for. And so, you know what? Like I said, I'd rather have two and a half percent growth where people feel like, hey, everyone's benefiting than four percent 
where you're continuing to see the haves make more and the have nots make less. Um, and then it causes an uprising and all of a sudden we're communism. <laughs> and that like that terrifies me because that's what's happened in some of these countries. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think it's something to look at. Yeah, I mean, we definitely should not go with the Karl Marx route of handling the 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 economy here in this country. But my argument is just this, and I think this is where we do find common ground with the Bernie Sanders supporters and libertarians, is that there's there's very much an economic motivator to not playing games with the system in the fact that we know that what 95% of people are employed by what's considered a small business. So that's why arguments over corporate taxes are moot when you're comparing it to the fact that most small businesses pay income taxes, right? Um, You have the impact of giving incentives or cutting the tax rate on withholdings for mom and pop businesses is always going to have a bigger impact, even though it doesn't seem like it on, on the, the grand scale of saying, oh, well, we have 500 jobs coming from one company. But when you talk about, you know, in the Asheville area, they gave all these incentives to big breweries to come in. And so you had New Belgium, Sierra Nevada come in and there's always these big deals. But what it didn't take into account are the other 40 breweries in town that could very much use a tax cut. I mean, maybe they only employ 10 people, not a thousand, but why wouldn't you want them to all to be able to hire that additional person to reduce their load? And I think that's the argument that just really has to be taken into account with all of these incentive type ideas is that, like you said, you either pick a particular industry, you subsidize it, a certain class of workers, um, or it's always going to be the big guys that fight for it. And so that's what you have now is you have this Pendo company or Honeywell or any of the other. I mean, the articles come out just about weekly of big companies getting these incentives packages, whereas most people are employed by small businesses who will never qualify for these big JDIG deals. And then that, that's the problem I have with it is it's it's too much meddling in the system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's also another component, which is why I think we need to open up some of these small businesses to some of these. If we're going to have them, then they need to be open to everybody. But this like selective, um, you know, only the big businesses benefit. It, you sort of lose everybody because the the liberals that should be supporting this are not because it's only going to the big the big uh, the big companies. And so they're losing like their base on this very issue. And so if we do as a society say, hey, you know what? The government should be subsidizing jobs, then you need to open it up to everybody because otherwise it's not going to have the intended uh, benefit that they're arguing it's going to have because only you know 20% of the majority of the jobs are going to be going to companies that provide the jobs and it needs to be going to 100%. So that is – so if we're going to allow it, then we need to fully allow it and stop being selective in who can qualify for it. Yes. Cronyism for all, Tyler. I think you and I can get behind <laughs> that. Hey, it's a brave new world, Kevin. It's the route we're going. Get on board. Got to get on board the train, man. It's leaving the station. Yeah, get I'm just – I'm, I'm still in my horse and buggy. I'm behind the times. <laughs> Got to get on board, man. We're to, we're going to the the land of communism and redistribution and Republicans and Democrats both agreeing. It's sounds horrible. Cats and dogs. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think it's closing time around these parts. You have any uh, final thoughts, my friend? No, I do not. I do not. I was trying to see if Trump had any good tweets, but he didn't. So I, I, I got nothing. 
They got nothing. That's a slow news day when there's no Trump tweets. I know. Well, they are, but they were a while ago, and everyone's probably already heard them by this point. I was hoping there'd be something funny right before the show ended, but I guess oh, not. Well, then we would beat the news cycle, but only to then <laughs> be behind the news cycle by the time we were live. That's so. true. By the time it's, we publish the podcast, yeah, that's true. It's a vicious cycle, my friend, but um, we, uh, we're we actually going to take next week off for people listening, so that gives you an opportunity to go back and listen to any episodes that you've missed. And then we, uh, I think we're going to cook up a little end of year show. Isn't that right, Tyler? Yeah, I think we're planning on it. Would that be the the week after or that would be a Christmas week. I thought we were going to do that. Well, we could do Christmas week and then we'll do a new year. So well, we don't know. We're going to keep you on the edge of your seats. Yeah. Because Cause we I, don't even know. We have no clue <laughs> what we're doing. So you stay on the edge of your seat. We'll fly by the edge of our seat and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>